So we have been in a sermon series for the past few weeks that has been great. It's a sermon series we've called Faith Misunderstood. Faith Misunderstood. And so today we're going to talk about, I think, a very pertinent topic. How do we grow? How do we grow in faith? What does spiritual maturity actually look like? So, you know, how do we get to the deep and the meaty things of God as opposed to the you know, shallow and superficial things. We want to go deep. Well, what, is, how, what does that mean? How does that all work? How do we grow? That's kind of the big picture theme for today. And without further ado, here's Charles. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone. John's so good at introducing people, don't you think? He does such a good job. And I really like appreciate you being here, you guys. Welcome to the river. You know, instead of enjoying that gorgeous weather out there somewhere, you chose to be here. So, yeah, you know, give yourself a pat. Thank you. It's great. And I hope you get what you came for, you know. So what we're going to talk about today is spiritual maturity. What does a spiritual mature person look like? What does a, a Christian who is really mature, what is the end goal of all this effort we put into? I mean, like I said, you are here today on a Sunday morning. On a gorgeous day. I mean, you're uh, putting in some effort here, right? So what are you here for? What are you hoping to get out of all the effort you put into being a Christian? I mean, that's a good question, right? What is the end goal of Christian effort? Because if you don't have that right, then you might end up in the wrong place. <laughs> And that would be such a tragedy. You put all this effort in and you end up in the wrong place. And it can actually cause problems and harm. And so let's talk about what makes a person a spiritually mature Christian. Because there's a lot of misconception around it. There's a common understanding of spiritually holy, righteous, you know, just a a holy person, you know, like some hermit in a cave, you know, praying all the time, learning about the Bible, doing everything right. This is not the model of what Jesus taught as the model of advanced, mature Christian who follows him. And so I want to address how this, this, you know, how does this uh, disconnect Why did that happen, and what's going on, and how can we get it straight so that we end up in the right place? Sounds good? So, for example, I used to hear from people on a regular basis, you know, about this church, how this church is really good for newbies, people starting out in faith, spiritual seekers, You know, this church really is good at feeding people with milk, you know, soft stuff, attractive stuff. But but what about for mature Christians, you know, to really sink into, bite into the meat of faith? Have you heard of that language before? The meat of faith versus milk? Anyone? That's pretty probably, yeah. Milk versus meat. When are we going to bite into the meat of the Bible? Where's the beef? You know, remember that commercial? Where is the beef? Enough with the milk. I want some solid stuff. 
And what people meant by that is, when are we going to like go deep into like Bible passages, tough passages, you know, get into the original Hebrew and Greek and get down to deep knowledge. And, and, and part of that, uh, and the second part of what, that, what they mean is, you know, out of that, really challenge people with tough, convicting, you know, what they wanted was, you know, Charles, make us feel guilty. You know, I want to feel convicted and really feel guilty, beaten up about what I'm doing wrong. You know, bring, talk about tough passages. Like, if you look at anyone we lost, uh, you know, in your heart, then you are an adulterer. You know, you're all adulterers, you guys. You, you sad losers, you know. Because you all watch TV, right? When you watch TV, there's attractive people, and Baywatch was like the number one TV show. Like, these attractive people in bathing suits, and so you watch it, and you think they're good-looking people. You're all adulterers. So throw out TV. This filth comes through TV. I actually sat through a, uh, a service about 10 years ago in a very large, you know, well-known church in New York, The sermon was about an hour and a half long, and the pastor was yelling the whole time. And it was really about throw out your TV, because filth comes from TV. And it's a church of several thousand people. And how many people do you think, after hearing that sermon, actually threw out their TV? What would be your guess? Two? Yeah, maybe. Out of thousands, right? But people feel good about hearing it. Nobody's going to do it, right? I mean, how many, how many are going to really actually throw out their TV? Nobody's going to do that. But it feels good to sit there and hear about, you know, and get beaten up and feel guilty, and it just somehow make you feel righteous, somehow make you feel holy, that you actually heard it. I mean, is that kind of like this, this psychological effect of like feeling like you got beaten up? You kind of paid some price. You got punished. You came. I, I don't know what that is. But people feel that's when a pastor is being real and being tough and not pandering. That's the meat of faith for mature Christians, you know? So it plays well, very popular. In my youth, it was burn your CDs. You know, it's just 30 years ago, it was burn your CDs. Now it's TV. Maybe it's iPhone next. I don't know. But it's popular. And Christians, they get used to hearing this stuff. They get trained in this mindset. Discipleship programs, Bible-focused churches. And there's this this conception that that's what makes a person mature. And so I looked up the passage. where this language comes from, the meat and the milk, in connection with spiritual maturity. You know, what makes a person baby Christian? What makes a person mature Christian? There's only one passage that talks about it like that, using that language in connection with maturity in faith. It's 1 Corinthians. That's the source passage from which all that talk comes from. 1 Corinthians is a, a letter that Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth because there was a big problem there. 
It was such a big problem, it warranted a whole book in the Bible. And he talks about the problem like this in 1 Corinthians. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I have been talking to you as though you were just babies in the Christian life who are not following the Lord but your own desires. I cannot talk to you as I would to healthy Christians who are filled with the Spirit. I have had to feed you with milk. That's where it comes from, milk. And not with meat, the solid stuff for grown-ups, because you couldn't digest anything stronger. And even now, you still have to be fed on milk, for you are still only baby Christians, childish Christians, not mature Christians, controlled by your own desires, not God's. When you are jealous of one another, divide up into quarreling groups, doesn't that prove you are still babies, wanting your own way? In fact, you are acting like people who don't belong to the Lord at all. One says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, and dividing the church. Doesn't this show how little you have grown in the Lord? So, right, this is the passage that talks about maturity, baby Christian, milk, meat, So what's going on here? Paul says they are baby Christians. They cannot be fed anything but milk. They are childish, infantile. Because why? He says because one says I follow Paul, another says I follow Apollos and dividing the church. What is that about? Well, Paul was a a very powerful church leader at the time, very powerful theologian, He was an apostle, and uh, he would talk to people and church people about what God is like, how to read the Bible, and he had his theology. And Apollos was another very powerful church leader in his own right, an apostle with God-given authority, and he had his own theology. And Paul and Apollos, they had little differences. Because they are two different people, they are going to have differences on how they saw God and the Bible. I mean, on broad stuff, there was complete agreement. But when you get down to the fine points of theology, you go deep into Bible passages, there is going to be some differences between the two of them. And some of them in the church in Corinth would study the Bible and form their own convictions. And some of them would say, you know, I think Paul is right about this or that issue. And some others would say, no, you know, I think Apollos is right. When you really look at this passage and go deep into this, Apollos is right. And they would divide up and they would have debates. And that happens, right? That happens today. Some people believe in infant baptism. Others don't. Some people believe in transubstantiation of the communion. Others believe communion is just symbolic. And people have really big debates about this and divide up. And that's all fine in and of itself. You know, I personally really enjoy diving deep into the Bible and fine points of theology and learning about God and becoming convinced of my opinions. I I used to spend 20 hours a week in college studying the Bible, you know, for several years. I'm really into it. I love it. And so that's all good. But what Paul is talking about here is people developing this mindset that that's the point of faith, that that's what maturity is, that that's what 
you know, end goal of mature Christian effort should be put into deep Bible knowledge and, and getting to the right place and observing its rules and, and all that, and, and to make that the end goal of faith, as if it was the D driver of your Christian discipleship to the extent you would divide up. And, and that's the point. Paul calls that childish faith. That behavior, he calls them out and says, that's being infantile. And so when you look at this source passage, what's ironic is it's saying exactly the opposite of what people who like to talk about meat and milk are talking about. Do you see? It's complete upside-down opposite point. that you go deep into the Bible and you really learn what it means and forming your convictions to think that that makes you a mature Christian, that's infantile, is what Paul is saying. Isn't that so interesting that it's been turned upside down like that? That it's now been co-opted, this passage, this language has been co-opted to talk about it in the exact opposite way? So then... What is the meat of Christian faith? What should mature Christians strive towards for end goal and faith? Well, Paul tells us explicitly in this letter later on. He he talks first about spiritual power. That's the second thing. Next to Bible knowledge, spiritual gifts and spiritual power is what Christians commonly think of as what mature Christians do, what people who are like getting deep into this stuff do is spiritually powerful stuff. And he shoots that down too. And then he tells us what really makes a person mature Christian. In chapter 12, he says, do we all have the gift of healing? He's been talking about spiritual gifts and and how people think of it as the, the thing to strive for. And he shoots him down. Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. He's about to tell us what is the end goal. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, amazing spiritual power, And if I understood all of God's secret plans, all Bible knowledge to understand everything in theology and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing, he says. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. He's he's saying love is the best thing ever. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge, Bible knowledge, all of that will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. He's saying we can only understand in part 
There's no way to understand God's ways, you know, by reading the Bible. There's no way to, like, know it completely and clearly. And he says, when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. This is a very famous passage, right? This is the wedding passage. You know what I mean? Whenever you go to weddings, half the time you're going to hear about this. Love is patient, love is kind. Very famous passage. Well, I want to propose to you, this list describes a lovely human being. Right? Anyone who fits this description, patient, kind, always hopes, always believes, you know, all that, it's a lovely human being. I want to know such a person. I want to be friends with such a person because I think I'll benefit. I want to be someone like that when I grow old. John talked about this last week. What is your end game in life? Who do you want to look like as you grow older and older? The scrumpy old man or a lovely human being? That, this is my end game. This is my end goal. This is the kind of person I want to be. And Paul is saying that is spiritual maturity. This is the end goal of all Christian efforts. It doesn't matter, he says, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. All Bible knowledge, all theology, God knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, this amazing spiritual power, but didn't love others, I would be nothing, he says. Would amount to nothing if you are not a lovely human being. So Bible knowledge and spiritual power cannot be the focus and end goal of faith. I mean, it's a fine thing, it's a good thing, it's cool. But it is not the end goal. This is not what makes you mature. And in fact, if it does become your focus, it can cause problems. It can become a distraction, and it can actually become an obstacle. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. This is yet another very famous verse. It gets quoted by Christians and non-Christians alike in all kinds of settings, right? When I was a child, I acted like a child, but when I grew up, I put them away. Have you heard that phrase before? Just, you know, it's even in movies. Very famous passage, misquoted and misapplied all the time, I think. Because in this context, in the context of this letter, where he is addressing Christians who are focused on Bible knowledge and spiritual power and thinking that's maturity is addressing that problem. And also, he's saying when I was a child. He doesn't say when people are children, people do childish things, but when they grew up, they ought to act like adults. No, he says when I was a child, I acted like a child. So what was Paul like? In his youth. Paul in his youth. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. According to his own words. Pharisees were famous. For being a group focused. On Bible knowledge. And observing its rules. Going deep into the Bible. That was his youth. He trained under the school. Of Gamaliel. 
the foremost Bible theologian of the time. His youth was just, he spent all his waking hours studying the Bible and trying to observe its rules. That was his childhood. He's obsessed with it. But when he grew up, when he encountered the living God in the risen Jesus, he entered a second phase of his life, his adulthood. And in his maturity, he was a completely different person than his youth. His focus changed, his life changed. He became a different man, so much so that he changed his name even. In another part of the Bible, he calls his obsession of his youth, all that Bible knowledge, And all that obsession on observing its rules, he calls it less than garbage. Less than garbage. In fact, literally, he calls it less than crap. In fact, if we really wanted to go deeper into the original Greek meaning of this skubala, what he really literally says is less than shit. But we are in church, so you know. We can't like use language like that. Maybe we should cut that out of the tape. I don't know. (laughs) The point is, Paul grew up. And he realized his childhood obsession was crap. Was no good. It actually got in the way of true faith. Again, these things are fine things. Knowledge, spiritual power, they're good things. But to focus on that as if that's what makes you mature... Confusion on that issue can cause huge problems. For example, I remember I was leading a weekly Bible study one one year, and uh, there was a visitor who came to the group, having trained, having been trained with this mindset. It's all about the Bible and its rules. And so, you know, in our group, people, I worked really hard for this. People would share really vulnerably about their problems, about their life. I worked hard on that. But this visitor, he would be just so quick. Whenever someone shares vulnerably, this visitor would be just like handing out the Bible advice right away, you know? You shouldn't be feeling that way. The Bible says X, Y, and Z. You know, if you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, you shouldn't be doing that. And just whenever someone shares, bam, the Bible says blah, 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 you shouldn't do this. Bible says blah, blah, blah. And it was like, it shut people up real fast. Right? Because who wants to share vulnerably when like, you get shamed like that? And then he would say, wow, I've never been part of a church where people share so vulnerably. And I'd be like, well, it's not going to last very long. <laughs> and so I tried to talk to him. But it was like we were in two different worlds. There was just no way. Like, there was just, I mean, he would be like, well, I'm just, this is what mature Christians do. And I'm like, no. And it was just, we couldn't talk. And so this is my first practical suggestion. When people share something vulnerable, please listen. Earn a reputation of being a good listener. Make that a goal in your life, in faith. Put effort into being a good listener. That's what makes you a mature Christian. Because love does not demand its own ways as Paul teaches us. It listens, it encourages, and supports, and strengthens according to 
who the person is and what their needs are. That's what makes you a mature spiritual person. I want to invite Allison up. She uh, has a really cool story about two types of Christians. One type focuses on Bible and its rules. Another type focuses on living God and love. And they have two very different impacts. So would you please welcome Allison. Hi, uh, my name is Allison, and I'm on staff here at the River. Um, I assist Caroline with the River Kids program, and I also have the privilege of leading the youth group. I am also a student at Union Theological Seminary. If you had told me back when I was younger that this would be my future, I probably would have laughed at you. I say this because I was raised to be a passionate atheist. Like my parents, I particularly disliked Christianity, and I believed that being a Christian meant that you were anti-intellectual, judgmental, hypocritical, and pushy. This was not a group of people I was interested in joining ever. Despite my well-known feelings about Christianity, my Christian classmates continued to invite me to their youth group events. In the eighth grade, my friends invited me to an all-night party that I was told would include a trip to a water park, a concert, and laser tag. When we arrived at the water park, I was informed by one of the adult leaders that the bathing suit I was wearing, a tankini, was not modest enough. So I was forced to wear a giant men's t-shirt over my bathing suit, making it clear to everyone that I had broken the rules rules that no one had ever mentioned to me. I felt so embarrassed and angry that no one had warned me. The night got worse from there. I learned that concert was actually a code word for a worship service where I would be pressured to go down to the altar and give my life to Jesus. I was one of few people um, in the room who refused to do so, uh, leaving me to feel incredibly uncomfortable, embarrassed, and angry. So, how did I become a Christian? <laughs> Growing up, um, I experienced depression, uh, eventually to the point of feeling like life had no point. During my sophomore year of high school, I shared some of these feelings with my friend Josie, who then talked to me about how her relationship with God gave her a strong foundation to get through the hard times in her life. To my complete surprise, I found myself seriously considering faith. I ended up spending the next few months reading the Bible and experimenting with prayer. The first few times that I tried to pray, I felt really silly uh, trying to talk to someone that I couldn't see. But soon, God began to become very real to me. I felt this warm, tingling sensation in my hands and could feel a loving presence all around me. I started to feel joy for the first time in years, and I began to feel like there was something worth living for. I still had a million questions about Christianity and deep reservations um, about it as a religion, but... I knew that I wanted to experience more of this joy and hope that came from interacting with God. 
At that point, I was afraid to tell my parents about my newfound faith, so the only Christian group that I could be a part of was my high school Christian club. So I would sneak away on Thursdays to at lunch to these club meetings, like some kids might you know, sneak away to smoke or go off campus um, to get food. Unfortunately, it wasn't a really positive experience. Um, for example, I was told that I should stop coming to the group until I had told my parents about my faith, because I was sinning against God by not being open. Other low points uh, included the day the male club president uh, criticized me in public for not dressing modestly enough. Another member interrogated me about why my political beliefs were not more conservative uh, now that I was a Christian. All of these reprimands came as a shock to me, uh, having not grown up in this evangelical world, I didn't know that such rules even existed until after I had already broken them. Fortunately, these experiences of moral policing did not diminish my excitement about God. I think this is because my experience of God was so radically different than this evangelical Christian culture. So different that they actually seemed unrelated to each other. I never really felt like these Christian rules were actually coming from God himself. The God I met in prayer never made me feel guilty, ashamed, or afraid. Instead, I felt deeply loved, known, accepted, and supported. And this tender God that loves and heals me is why I've stuck with Christianity over the years, despite many other harmful church experiences. Today, I feel very lucky to be a part of a church community that both reflects and helps deepen my experience of this loving God. Loving God. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. What a great sharing. You know, I just... Allison is an awesome person. Do you know her? Yeah? She really is. We are really lucky to have her here. You should get to know her. She's really good with teenage kids. Now that says something. That's maturity, right? And I'm so glad that she met the living God, that she could be part of this community. And I'm so glad she met Josie, her friend, who was really loving towards her, listened to her and responded appropriately. She didn't give advice. Like, stop feeling depressed. Life has a point. She just shared her experience of living God in her own life. Just sharing. That's much really more needed than advice. And I'm really upset at the so-called serious Christian leaders at her high school. Because they really got in the way, didn't they? I mean, yes, there are all Bible passages that tells you that you have to confess Christ. You cannot deny him. You have to be open about your faith or, you know, there will be serious consequences. But to apply that to her at the time, please consider the context. This is a young girl struggling with depression. When you're struggling with depression, you're at risk. Nothing feels good. Life seems to have no point. And her parents are passionate atheists. As a young girl, there's a a power dynamic there. 
and to push you into that space, that's not good. That's not cool. Just because here is Bible and its rules. Can you imagine how frustrated God must have been feeling when he's at work, loving her, comforting her, strengthening her, bringing her to himself? And these people are supposed to speak for him. He's just messing it all up, right? Just ruining it. And working against God and becoming enemies of God, thinking that they're actually working for God. Wow, there's just really little hope there then, is there? If you think you're working for God, but you're being an enemy of God. In Romans 2, Paul talks of such people, people who are really focused on Bible and its knowledge and observing its rules, he says, God's name is cursed among the peoples of this world because of you. You think you're such a good Christian because you learn the Bible and you go deep into it, observe its rules. God's name is cursed among the peoples because of you. You want to feel convicted? You want to feel guilty? You want to feel guilty? Feel guilty about this, you folks. All right? This is strong language. God's name is cursed because of you. How do you feel about that? So don't do that. That's not cool. That's not following the Lord. That's not being a mature Christian. It's the exact opposite. Open your eyes. Be transformed in your mind. Understand God's heart. That's this, this love, becoming a lovely human being, This is maturity. And so my next suggestion is develop a life-giving approach to the Bible. Because there is clearly a wrong way to approach the Bible. That just will screw you up for the rest of your life in in relationship with God. You have to have right relationship with the Bible. And this is the focus of my sermon. Next sermon on June 4th. There's been a lot of questions about that, so I'm going to address that in my sermon, and, and it's going to be so, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm very excited about it because uh, I love the Bible, and I've studied it so much, and I want to talk to you about how it was formed and how to approach it and, and how to make it be life-giving for you as opposed to becoming this curse upon your life. So, this It's the point of mature faith, love, becoming a lovely human being, being, acting like Josie. The point of faith is not Bible knowledge and observing rules. The point of faith is this living God that Allison experienced when she was down, when she was depressed. And that happens, right? People, you guys feel down sometimes, hard to get up in the morning. You wonder what's going to happen in your future. And it gets stressful and depressing. And nothing feels good. Anyone? God can make complete difference. God can come alongside you. The living God can surround you. Change your mind about everything. Give you strength and faith and love. You understand people much better. 
I can't tell you how many times that I've, I've gotten into a fight with my wife and just get so mad. And then I turn to God. And miraculously, there's just another perspective. And I'm like, where did that come from? It makes it like, you know, you just have a, and it just makes the relationship so much better. Because I'm not so stuck on my viewpoint anymore. I, I get a bigger perspective and I can understand my wife all of a sudden. All of a sudden, I feel like she's right. <laughs> How did this happen? Oh my God. And, and when I feel bad about life, I mean, look, this weather is great. And so, you know, why are you stuck here? You can kind of wonder. But, you know, even gorgeous weather can feel really bad. When you're in a bad space, nothing feels good. God can change that for you. The living God, if you have a real connection with him, he will change everything to feel good. Everything you do will have better taste. God is the source of life. He is the spice of life. He will spice up everything you do. It will be just awesome. You will learn to love yourself, love your life, and love people around you. Life becomes good. Doesn't that sound like great stuff? That's the point of mature Christianity. If you are into that, you are in the right church. If you are into Bible knowledge and feeling like whipped is the point, you are in the wrong place, buddy. You know, you, there are thousands of other churches where people do that really well. Go to those churches, you know. Here, the focus is different. We want to focus on love. Because that is what Jesus taught. That's holiness. That's righteousness. And, and so that's why church becomes so important. If it's about Bible knowledge and observing its rules and doing right, you can do it on your own. Why do you need church? Do it on your own. In fact, I, I just think you'll be best at not breaking Bible's rules if you just live by yourself and never talk to anyone. Just die, right? Dead people are the, are the people who don't sin, you know? But if you want to live and, and have life in all its fullness, you need church. You need to interact with people and mess up and learn and become more loving. We need each other. So my final suggestion is come to the river retreat. I love river retreat. August 13th through 15th, it will be like a vacation. How many of you have been to the river retreat? Good, bad, what do you think? Awesome, right? Every year it's great. You will have plenty of free time in a lovely setting. It will be like vacation. You can bring kids. Kids love it too. You'll actually get some break from your kids, so that's a big bonus. <laughs> Uh, also time to spend with your kids and just get to know each other. I would like to get to know you better. I like to, you know, see what's going on. And so please come, okay? Have I sold it enough? In the, bo in the program, there's a box. Just express your interest and you'll get more details. Everyone's welcome. The theme of this retreat is faith that works in every setting. Faith that works in every setting. I think it's going to be great, so please come. All right, let me pray for us. God, we are so grateful you are living God. You're not this judge in the heavens, just scoring our every action. You are the living God who loves us, who died for us, who became one of us, 
in order to connect with us and lift us up from dark places we get into. God, help us to know you better. Help us to know this living God who can miraculously make all kinds of differences. Help us to know you better. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.